Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to have you here with us. I got a little too excited on those first songs, so now my voice is funny. So you have to put up with me sounding funny this morning. I apologize. Did everyone check in? Did you pull out your phone and check in? Last week, we talked about checking in on Facebook so that people know that you're here and uh, it kind of increasing your exposure to the world of your attendance at Wibble Creek. So if you haven't done that, go ahead, pull it out. I did it. I saw that Brian did it this morning. My wife did it. You can do it right now. It's, you're not going to offend me if you pull out your phone and watch Netflix during the sermon. That's fine, too. Um, just turn the volume down so you don't distract those around you. But we talked about how Facebook can be something that, that we can use to help share our church with the people and our, and our network of people. So last week we talked about 8 to 15. If you, if you were here, you remember that. If not, you might want to go check that out online. online www.whipplecreek.com or whipplecreekchurch.com. Either, either of them will get you there. So um, Also, if you weren't here... We have some cards, and if you, would, if you want one of those cards, it's a card where you can list on the front your 8 to 15 people that you're praying for. On the back, it has the 30 days with Jesus that we're going through right now. We're going through the life of Jesus as a church. So if you would raise your hand, one of our ushers will come and get you a copy of one of those if you need one. But uh, we're going, trying to chronologically go through the life of Jesus. We started last Sunday going all the way through the day after Easter, and we're going to be covering all of that. So, but on the, on the other side of that, that's your 8 to 15. And just a quick summary, that is the 8 to 15 people that God has put in your life for you to connect with. They're the, they're, every one of us has influence over 8 to 15 people. Every one of us has 8 to 15 people in our lives that God has put specifically in our lives so that we can be living Christ to them, so that we can be investing in a relationship. And investing in that relationship can be anything from, you know, supporting them, encouraging them, doing things for them. If they're your neighbors, you can go over there and rake their leaves or mow their lawn. If they've worked for you if, or that you work with them, they're co-workers, you can just talk to them, encourage them to work. Really simple things you can do to invest in that relationship. And then we want you to invite them to Christ or to invite them to the church and so that we can share the gospel with them. So 8 to 15, you're going to hear that a lot over the next few weeks, including we are going to have in the back on the, on the chalkboard if you have an encounter with someone in your 8 to 15 and you just want to write and encourage, you don't have to write their name, you don't have to do anything like that, but just say, I ran into so, you know, someone from my 8 to 15 this week and, and just shared this with them or talked to them, encouraged them. Whatever the encounter was, you can write that up on the chalkboard in the lobby there. So, but today we're going to be talking about prayer, specifically praying for your 8 to 15. But I want to just start us off to help define prayer. For one, um, I know some of you have probably seen that shirt. It was going around for a while. Jesus is my homeboy. Um, Jesus is not your homeboy. I just want to clarify that. Um, Jesus, Jesus is, yes, a very personal person that we can connect with, but Jesus is not, not a homeboy. Jesus is much more than just some kind of whatever slang term we could use to put on Jesus. is never going to come close to defining Jesus. So, uh, 
one of the things I just want to start us off about prayer is that I think a lot of times we approach prayer a little too insignificantly with a little too much ease, a little too lightly. Uh, so we go into a talking to Jesus like he's our homeboy. But we're talking to the creator of the universe. We're talking to somebody who transcends everything. We're talking to somebody who's over and in and around and in ways that we cannot understand. So I think we need to reevaluate some of the ways we do prayer. So um, speaking of... Hi, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. We're getting here ministries. You know, a lot of people come up to us and ask us hard questions about God and the Bible and spiritual living. And you know, while a lot of those questions are softball questions for us, there are actually some pretty good ones. One of them being, how do I have a better prayer life? Well, good news, we got some killer tips to a better prayer life. Before we do that though, let's start off with a title and some dance moves. No, we're not doing the title and the dance. Let's just kind of get into this. When you're saying a prayer in public, you want to use the phrase, Father God, as much as humanly possible. Just last week, I said a 30-second prayer and got 17 Father Gods in it. Now look, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying with a little bit of effort, it could be done. If you have a prayer request but don't actually want to request it, simply say, unspoken. I currently have six unspokens that I'm praying for this guy about. Johnny, sorry to bother you, but I actually have another prayer request. Okay. What? It's unspoken. <laughs> okay, well that's seven. And while I have no clue what I'm praying about, someone does. Just no one human. The Bible says pray without ceasing, and well, we believe in the Bible. Chachi has been praying without ceasing for over 32 hours now. Chachi, how do you feel? What, who said what? Where am I? Well, Chachi, you have been praying for over 32 hours straight. You feel pretty good? Can I get a restroom break? <laughs> Not if you want to fully obey scripture. <laughs> Let's say you become privy to some juicy information about someone, but don't want to be seen as a gossip. We've got good news. You're good to go if you put it in the form of a prayer request. I still cannot believe what Jill said to Keith. I can't believe it either. Did you know that John got canned? What? Are you, are you? Let's talk about it in a prayer group. Some think your prayer position is irrelevant, but we have found that your prayer position can not only boost your prayer life, but can stretch you physically. Chachi, why don't you go ahead and show us some examples? Well, I wasn't really planning on praying, but I guess I could give it a shot. Oh, very nice. Good, that is classic. Wow. Seriously, wow. The last thing you do when you pray is fairly obvious. You say, Amen. And if you happen to be in a group of people holding hands, it's imperative that you accompany that Amen with a physical action known as the hand squeeze. The squeeze lets the people on either side of you know, hey, the prayer's over. I care about you, but I'm letting go now. And when you are holding hands, never interlock, because that can make your prayer partners a little uncommed. We want to thank you for watching, or shall I say, growing in your prayer life. Yeah, now can we do the, the title and the dance moves? No, just kind of say thanks for watching. And
that's seriously unreal. This is actually my miracle position. So speaking of how not to pray, um, I might give you a few examples. I've, I've been trying to get the word uncomfed to catch on, so no. So if you want to use that word and kind of help you know, spread the word around and get, get a few more people excited about using the word uncomfed, that would be good with me. But, so, the, so there are some examples of how not to pray. What prayer is not, I guess we should say. But we, we're going to get into... We're going to get into Timothy, and just to set a little bit background, First uh, Timothy 1, 3 through 7, if you have your Bible, you can pull out and turn there. We'll be spending most of our time there, First Timothy 1 and 2. But the, this book of First Timothy is kind of marching orders for Timothy. So Paul has been kind of mentoring Timothy. Paul has been trying to tell Timothy what he needs to do to be able to be a pastor and shepherd these people. He's been kind of speaking into Timothy's life. And this letter from Paul to Timothy is a letter that's giving Timothy some things to do, some ways that he can lead the people in Ephesus, which, by the way, is who the letter Ephesians was written to. So if you've heard the book of Ephesians, then you know that that is Ephesus, and that was a letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians. We'll get into that in just a minute. Timothy is in Ephesus, and, he's, and he is charged with taking care of some of these people, with watching over the people of Ephesus. And so that's where we start off um, this. And, th and these are the marching orders. These are some of the things that, that Paul is urging Timothy to do. So I just want to read for us, set a little bit of the background of what we're going to talk about. Verse 3, As I urged you when I was leaving from Macedonia, stay on in Ephesus to instruct certain people not to spread false teachings nor to occupy themselves with myths and, and interminable gene genealogies. Such things promote useless speculations rather than God's redemptive plan that operates by faith. So there are some people in the church who were, who were spreading false teachings, who were, who were turning to other things besides Jesus and God for, for their religion, for their, for their faith. Verse 5, But the aim of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have strayed from these and have turned away to empty discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand what they're saying or things they insist on so confidently. So Paul has urged Timothy to stay there to try and, and correct some of the false teaching that has been going on. He wants, them, he wants to correct some of the, the wrong things that the people who are claiming that they follow Christ and know Christ, the wrong things that they're teaching in Ephesus, and, and Timothy is supposed to be there to correct those. And even at the end of chapter 1, you, you hear Paul say that he's actually turned some people over to Satan so that they could be taught not to blaspheme. Paul actually handed people over so that they would be able to, to, be able to get totally out of the way. Um, and it's kind of like in Job where where Job was handed over to Satan, where, where it kind of cleanses out, and that's a long, big, long theological thing we don't have time to get into this morning. We'll cover it later, but... And here's that verse. To do this, you must hold firmly to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Amanius and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. That's, that can be confusing... So we want to we want to talk about that at another time. If you're confused about it, you can come talk to me afterwards. I'll try to explain it a little better. But the first marching order given to Timothy in chapter two, the very first thing that Paul says is to pray. That's verse two, or chapter two, verse one. First of all, then I urge that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be offered on behalf of all people, 
even for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Such prayer for all is good and welcome before God our Savior, since he wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one intermediary between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all, revealing God's purpose at his appointed time. For this, I was appointed a preacher, Paul. For this, Paul was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. That's why I was appointed. And I am an apostle. That's the truth, too. And a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dispute. We were talking this week about, you know, what are some of the things we need to talk about? And a couple of people mentioned prayer, and one of them was Jim, and he kind of gave me this verse as a starting point. So some of these ideas are his. Wanna, so you can pat him on the back for the sermon on the way out. Um, speaking of patting on the back, I'm not feeling real well, so if I don't shake your hand today, don't take it personally. I just don't want to be, you know, typhoid Davy and infect the whole church with what I've got. But... Um, back into Timothy. So we see here in verse 1 of chapter 2, first of all, then I urge that requests, pay attention to these, requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks. Those are the four things we're going to talk about. Requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks be offered on behalf of all people, even for kings and all who are in authority. And, and these, this is the point, this is why, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life in all godly godliness and dignity. Such prayer, those prayers, requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanks, such prayer for all is good and welcome before our Savior, since he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now remember, Ephesus is dealing with false teaching. Ephesus is dealing with people who have learned the wrong things. So, so Paul wants Timothy to be praying and using prayer and his relationship with people to teach the truth. So there are four kinds of prayer. The first one we talked about was requests. You might think of these as petitions or supplications. You've probably heard those words if you spent much time around church. This refers to prayers focused on special needs. The idea is that of bringing a deep and intense burden before the Lord. When we have needs in our lives and when we see the needs in the lives of others, we're to be moved by these needs and we're to bring them to the throne of grace. So when we're talking specifically about praying for the people and praying for the people in our network, the people in our sphere of influence, these are some ways that you can pray for them. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but if even for someone who is far from God, if you offer, can I pray for you? It can be a very, very simple way to be able to, to bring Christ, to bring life into their into their godlessness. And so some of these are very practical ways. If that's too hard, well, then you can still pray for them without being in their presence. You can pray for them as, as you go through that list of the people that you have written down. But when, when people have requests, then you can pray for their requests. When people have needs, you can pray for their needs. We are supposed to be moved as followers of Christ to pray for the needs of others. Prayer isn't about what we want only. So the second one, requests and prayers, well, four kinds of prayer. Why would prayer be one of the four kinds of prayer? And I wrestled with that one. And the best I can come up with is it's, it is the Greek word for prayer. And so I would have to guess that, that this means along the lines of, of normal prayer, which what would you think of when you think of normal prayer? What would be the first normal prayer that would come to mind? 
when you thought of, think of the word prayer. Conversations. What was that? Lord's Prayer. Yeah, so that was what I thought of. So um, whether this is totally true or not, I don't know, and I couldn't find a way to find the answer. So, but the Lord's Prayer is a good thing, so we can use that for right now. So along the lines of, of how Jesus taught us to pray, what, were, what are the parts of the Lord's Prayer? This is really quick. The Lord's, I know a lot of people who spend weeks and weeks talking about the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to do that today. You can laugh at that if you want or say amen. We're not going to be here for weeks. But these are along the lines of how Jesus taught us to pray. Worship, surrender, providence of health and nutrition or well-being, forgiveness and forgiving, protection from evil and temptation. And, and then a great important part of the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus is the one who intercedes on our behalf. Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is the one who tore the veil we're going to learn a little bit more about this later, but Jesus is the one who tore the veil so that there aren't only a few people who can come to the throne. There aren't only a few who have been blessed and washed and purified to be able to come into the Holy of Holies. We all now can do that because Jesus interceded for us. Jesus came in on our behalf, and he tore the veil in making that possible. So, so pray, Jesus is a very important part of prayer. We can't, we can't pray without Jesus, and Jesus is our one intercessor. This is some of the truth that Paul is trying to communicate because there are other intercessors that other people try to use, but Jesus is the one that we pray to. Jesus is our intercessor. That's why it's so important when we pray that we pray in Jesus' name, right? The, the, what, this is why it's not just a tag. It's not just a way to let people know that you're done. This isn't just a way to kind of put the bookend on the end of your prayer. This, this is so that we are praying through our intercessor. The other kind of prayer, intercessions on behalf of someone else, standing in the gap for someone else, someone else those who... Um, do know the Lord and those who are being led astray or don't know the Lord. So we can stand in the gap. We can intercede for them. We can see things in their lives that they need help with. We can see things in their lives that, that they need prayer for, and maybe they don't see it, but we can intercede on their behalf. We can pray for them, and we can do the same for Christians and non-Christians. Prayer is a great way to reach out to people. And then this last one, this is a very powerful one, thanks. And you'll, you'll hear Paul use this a lot giving thanks in all circumstances. I give thanks every time I remember you. We have so much to be thankful for. We, have, we can be thankful for God and his work, for his love, his son, his creation, his word. We can be thankful for others he has put in our lives, for past answered prayers, for current provision, for the fact that he hears us. We can be thankful for the prayers that he has answered for us and for all who have gone before us to help us build our faith. See, prayers, answered prayers is, is a very practical way to, to begin to put some legs to faith. It, it, it solidifies things. When you pray for something and God answers prayer, well, then that just kind of pushes you a little bit further along in, in your faith. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. When we're praying for something, we typically are hoping for something, right? We're, when we're praying for something, we don't really see the result. So we're when we're praying, we're, we're praying in faith that God is going to do something. Then when that comes about, then that, that should embolden us, that should empower us in, in faith. So there's the four kinds of prayer. Well, why is this kind of a, a prayer good? Verses 3 and 4 in chapter 2. One, God wants all people to be saved. That's why this kind of prayer is good. 
And two, God wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want people to just come to any kind of knowledge, a knowledge that doesn't lead directly to him. God is very jealous. God is very concerned that people come to him through the one way, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. The way we understand. The truth is a little bit harder to understand. So we need to be careful to to understand the truth and to know the truth. But God wants all people to be saved. God wants all people to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. Well, then what is the truth? Verses 5 and 6. There's one God. Do we agree with that? One intermediary, and that's Jesus. This is the simple truth that Paul is communicating in this and in, in the Ephesians, which we'll go to in a minute when, he is, when Paul is addressing the Ephesians, not just Timothy. So there's no other God. There is, there's nothing outside of God. The only way to talk to God is through the one intermediary, Jesus. There's no veil. There's no inner court. There's no inner circle. Jesus is our intermediary. Jesus is the one who intercedes for us. Jesus is the one who, who makes communication with God accessible. That's the truth, that there is one God, and he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That's, that's the one truth that, that I think uh, Paul is trying to communicate. And of course, there's much more to it than that, but just for now, that's what we're going to cover. Okay, so, so those four kinds of prayer, what is the truth? And well, the truth is why Paul is a preacher of the gospel. So we find in verses 7 and 8 that the truth is why Paul was called into the ministry. And if you have done much reading in Ephesians, you will find that they're full of truth. If you'll do much reading in all of Paul's writings, you understand that they are full of logical arguments. They're full of, of depth. They're full of things that might be hard to understand. They're full of truth. And that's why Paul is a preacher of the gospel, to preach the truth and to be united in truth and prayer. You know, so, and this is this in, in 7 and 8, verse 8, where he talks about you know, to the bold and, and raising of arms and raising of hands in prayer. So we're, he's talked, started with prayer and come back around to prayer. Truth and prayer, truth and prayer are very intertwined here in this passage of Scripture. And then Paul's prayer for the Ephesians which is where Timothy is, and he's dealing with these false teachings. So if you want, if you want to, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And um, I don't have this up on the screen for you. I couldn't figure out a way to simplify it. So I'm just going to read it for you and talk through some of the different kinds of, of these prayers that Paul is using in his letter to the Ephesians. So Ephesians 1, starting in verse 1, From Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So for one, we know that Paul is an apostle, that he's preaching by the will of God, and that he's sending this letter to who? The faithful. So this letter is grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. So what kind of prayer would you make that out to be? Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship, yes, good. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms of Christ. Worship and even thanks. So now we get into the truth. For he, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight of love. He did this by predestining us to adoption and as his sons, big words there, but here's the important part, through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will. Two, listen to this, to the praise and glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us and his dearly loved son. There we have Jesus, our intercessor, and we have thanks and we have worship, all right in one sentence. In him, God, we have redemption through his blood, Jesus, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. You see, a lot of these he's in Christ talking about Jesus, you get an idea that Paul is trying to communicate what the truth is. The truth is Jesus. The truth is Jesus. So in him, we have redemption through Jesus' blood, his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the secret of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of the times to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own, kind of getting the idea here, God's own possession. He wants to communicate an idea. It's about, it's about God, it's about Christ, the one truth. We've been claimed as God's own possession since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Right there, right? We would be to the praise of his glory talking about who we are and what what happens when people come to Christ. When people come to Christ, it's for the praise of his glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's all right there in this letter. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So there in the the first 14 verses of this letter, we have praise, we have thanks, we have truth, we have intercession. And then he gets specific when he's praying for the, for the saints, the ones who believe to be able to stand strong in their faith. He wants them to stand and hold the truth. So he continues on to pray for them. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. Paul is giving thanks. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and here's an intercessory prayer. I pray that God may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. So you can see Paul is interceding on the behalf of the Ephesians that they would, that they would have a greater understanding of knowledge, that they'd be further enlightened by spiritual wisdom that comes from God. And then he does it again. This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, more truth than some more intercession, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet and he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So you can see there... Prayers of inner, so that's 
I'm trying to give you some context of where all these letters are coming together. This is Paul writing to Timothy. That's the main one we're talking about. But this is Paul writing to the Ephesians. So, and he's trying to solidify the truth in the saints, and he's also trying to build up Timothy to be able to preach the truth. And he wants Timothy to, to intercede and to be an intercessor in prayer for the Ephesians. So, this is the kind of prayer Paul isn't offering. All right? This is how we think of prayer, right? God, I really need a new chariot or car. Paul probably would have been happy for new sandals. God, please help Arminius and Alexander not to be mad at me. That's not what Paul prayed. Paul kind of prayed the most intense kind of intercessory prayer for those two because they were preaching lies. They were, they were misleading people. Or this is how we pray, right? I was trying to think through these. God, it's really raining. Please let there be a parking space close to the door. God, please let the Blazers make it into the playoffs. I'm sure some of you are praying that right now. I don't really care about the Blazers. I'm sorry. God, God please make sure American Idol records tonight. Uh, God, please don't let Malcolm get voted off the island. <laughs> God, please help me to get an A on this test that I didn't study for. Um, students, it doesn't work that way. You have to have the knowledge there for God to help pull it out. God, please uh, keep that light green so I can get through it, right? I prayed that one this morning. Um, God, please let this tank of gas get me all the way home or get me there, get me where I'm going. Some of you probably prayed that this morning too. God, uh, please let these pants be on sale. Or uh, God, please let us win the Publishers Clearinghouse $5,000 a week for life. We were praying that one a few weeks ago. Uh, and please let tomorrow be a better day than today. Now, I don't want to establish prayer as this you know, holy thing that only holy people can do, but, but I do want us to, to, to think of prayer more than just those, so, you know, not subliminal, but just things that are so beneath what, what a communication with a great God should be. You know, when we're communicating with God, I don't think we should say, yo, yo, Jesus, what's up, right? I think we ought to have reverence and, and respect. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, how did Jesus teach us to pray? He said, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed. Say an unbeliever comes up to you, somebody in your 8 to 15, somebody that's in your circle and your sphere of influence. They come up to you, and they know that you're a Christian, and they say, hey, could you pray for this? And you agree, and you are faithful to pray, which is the hard part, right? You say, yes, I'll pray for that, but then you walk away and forget and don't remember until the next time you see them that you said you'd pray for it. So you have to be faithful to pray and remember to pray. But if you pray for that, and they've asked for prayer, and then God answers that prayer, and then the next time you have a conversation, you say, hey, you know, what happened with, with this? What happened with this situation? And then they say, oh, well, this happened. It, it all worked out, you know, whatever it was. Well, that can be an incredible step toward faith for that person because they can see how you know, the God of the universe was interested in their life. So we should also offer prayers of intercession for unbelievers and believers who are going astray. Some of us probably right now at this very time know believers in our life who have decided to step in a wrong direction. They've decided to take 
you know, a step that steps away from God. Instead of walking toward Jesus, the one thing, right, toward the one passion that we talked about a few, a few weeks ago, they've, they've gotten distracted a little bit, and they've gotten distracted a little bit more. Things in their peripheral vision are taking them off course, so now they're not heading toward Christ anymore. They're heading off towards this other thing. Well, we're supposed to be praying for them. We're supposed to be interceding on their behalf to, for Christ to help bring them back in the right direction. But we should also offer prayers of provision and forgiveness and protection for others. And we should offer prayers of thanks for everything God has done for us and others. We really have so much to be thankful for. And it's so easy to get caught up in what we think we need and what we, what we think we don't have that we don't realize just how much God has blessed us. And if you were to take just a minute and, and, and do a study or do a search on the internet or go to Google and just say, you know, richest people on earth, who do you think the richest people on earth are going to be? Even the poorest people in America are richer than about, you know, 75 or 80 percent of people in the rest of the world. So we are so blessed and yet we get in this, this mindset where we, we don't have enough, we don't have everything that we need. We have so much to be thankful for that we should be thankful every time we come to God in prayer. So, this morning we're going to spend some time focusing on, on praying for our 8 to 15. We're going to spend some time, and hopefully, if you were here last week, you have those people listed out, and hopefully you have that list with you, or at least you know who they are. And up here at the front, you've done this before, we have the slips of paper and pens, and then there are the holes in these rock walls here for you to be able to write their names and, and roll them up and stick them in the wall. And we will pray for them as part of this service today. And then there are people who will come in and pray for them during the week. We'll, we won't pull out the name. We're not going to pull out the request. If there's a request on there, we're not going to pull it out and read it. But we will pray with you. So we will be praying with you as you think about who these 8 to 15 are. And the reason this is so important is because this is, this is not about any one of us. You know, church is not about the pastor. I want to make that very clear from the start. Church is not about me. And as, if you remember from last week, if we rely solely on me, the church may, if we're lucky, only grow at the most by 5 to 6%. But if we want to reach people for Christ, we want to reach people in this community that, that this church is planted in, if we want to reach people in Hazeldale and the surrounding blocks and the surrounding area, the greatest way that we're going to be able to do that is if we all commit to being the light, if we commit to being the gospel, if we commit to taking those 8 to 15 people God has placed in our lives and investing in a relationship with them, investing in them in, in ways of prayer and, and anything we can do so that when the invitation comes, when the in when the invite comes to invite them to church or to invite them to Christ, that there has been something more than a track you know, shoved in their face, right? We want them to, to have a relationship with somebody who follows Christ. We want them to be able to turn to you and say, hey, will you pray for me? We want them to be able to turn to you and say, what is truth? Truth is under attack in our culture. People don't understand truth anymore. People, probably a lot of you and maybe some of the students up here think that truth is relative, right? We think that truth, that there, what's true for you might not be true for me and what's true for me might not be true for you. Well, that's not true, right? There is truth. There's something we can understand. 
And God wants us to be in the lives of those people so that when they have those questions, there's a Christian, there's somebody who follows the way, the truth, and the life that can help lead them to the knowing and saving knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. There's a reason that Paul told Timothy right off the bat to pray. Because prayer, when you pray, when you pray the right way, when you pray with humility, when you pray and understand that you are praying to a God who is so much bigger and so much greater than we could ever comprehend, when, when we're praying to God who exists and transcends, and I know that's a big funny word, but when God is above and outside of everything, when, when you're praying to that kind of God, well, that God can work in ways that we could never work. We can't manipulate people to come to Christ. We can't try and, and twist their arm and, you know, and, and bring them in, drag them in, kicking and screaming, and then grab them by the ear and bring them down to the altar and have them pray the, you know, the, the ABCs like we talked about last week and expect that that's going to be salvation. Only God can bring somebody to Christ. He uses us because we are his church. He uses us because he has put us here to be in their lives. But we aren't the way. Jesus is the way. We aren't the truth. No pastor is the truth. No church is the truth. No church is the life. It is only Jesus who provides the way and the truth and the life, and he relies on us 